Welcome to the fourth episode of our podcast here, All Bump, No Run. I'm sure everybody has been greatly worried uh, that we've been incognito for the last two months. So just sure everybody, uh, all seven of you, are real happy that we are alive and well. And we made it back. We did it. We survived some uh, some brushes with uh, the deadly coof, which I so lovingly call COVID. The vid. The vid. Partially broken ankles. Bronchitis. Strep throat. We've been through the ringer in the last little bit. Gas prices. I mean, we've been, damn, we've been through it, man. We've been through it all. Through it all here in the last little bit. So I guess it's been almost two months since we recorded our last podcast. Yeah, uh, I think the last record date was eleven eighteen. So yeah, I mean it's it's been a little bit for us. It's getting there. Yeah, but I mean with everything kind of going on, Christmas, everything like that, plus just the golf world in general being a little slower. Yeah, this time of the year. Um, but PJ Tour started back, so we're starting back. I'm here for it, man. It's been a, I don't know, it's been a weird winter because like. The weather's been pretty nice around around here, at least. I mean, it's been unseasonably warm, which makes being sick and injured and all kinds of stuff um, less than ideal. Um, yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. Like, it's the it's been the warmest November, December I can remember in a long time. Yeah, and I've probably played more golf in December than I probably ever have in in, in that month. I was gonna say collectively, we played nine holes this morning. Yeah, that was the first time I touched the club since probably uh, I haven't played since we recorded our last podcast. Yeah, and I think I played. I think I played three times in December, which is it's pretty good for. That month, yeah, in general, and um, you know, I played today, and uh, it looks like if the weather continues to hold up, that we'll be able to play uh, next weekend, hopefully. Yeah, so I know we're looking forward to that and got our hopes up, and hopefully, uh, Mother Nature will continue to cooperate with us. So, hadn't been a lot of golf on our end to really talk about. Um, I've had a fractured ankle for three or four weeks now at this point. And so played a very uncomfortable nine holes this morning. The legendary Mark Berry made an appearance on the course with us for one hole, played us a par three, uh, just playing with a driver. Yeah. I got tied, which I don't know how I feel about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he made four with driver, arguably the hardest par three in North Carolina, 147 yards of just pure raw steel, sex appeal and hatred. To put this in perspective, uh, the par three, the green is lovingly referred to as the watermelon hole. Yeah. Because if you cut a watermelon in half and laid it down on the ground, that's about what the green looks like. Uh, You're either going to stop it right dead center of it and make you a two or three and get the hell out of there, or you're going to miss the green completely and have a very hard time finding your ball and getting it anywhere close to the green on your chip shot. Yeah, a hundred percent. And we had the, uh, you know, we had to dodge the, the dreaded acorns today. A lot of acorns. A lot of acorns. Which yeah. for everybody not in rural Stokes County, that's an acorn. It comes off of an oak tree. But we... Uh, right. Your daddy said if it had been anybody but us, he'd blown it off. But Yeah, he was going to crank the leaf blower up and get them out of our way, but then 
he, we were the only people on the course in the cold wind this morning. So he said, hell with it, young, have fun with it. Um, so those are the things that you don't really you know, talk about when you're factoring in slope rating and course difficulty. They don't take the acorns into effect. No, they don't. No, nah, it's just a little, little added sprinkle of something, something going no, on. No, they don't. So, uh, yeah, so uh, we kind of thought we'd come to you all today and um, talk about um, the, the tour event that's going on right now, the Tournament of Champions. Uh, probably finish up the podcast talking about that. Yeah, finish up, talk about some stuff we got coming up um, that we're pretty excited about and go from there. Yeah, and um, even maybe drop a few tidbits. Not that we've held any of them, but um, some of the new equipment releases. Yeah, there's been some really interesting stuff like out in the world right now about uh, some new equipment releases and stuff that have been coming out. And it's not, there's nothing really too groundbreaking that's changed, but TaylorMade has come out with something, you know, the new Stealth Driver that's pretty it's raised some eyebrows and had some cool stuff going on with that. So, I mean, we can just kind of get right into that. Um, TaylorMade Stealth Driver, new for 2022. Other than the face, it's a fairly uh, it's a fairly seductive-looking club. It's just it's black on black, flat black, carbon crown. Um, but it's got a carbon face, which is something new that we haven't really seen. Um, I think there was, there was some company that had a carbon face uh, maybe a year or two ago, but it was relatively unknown, and I can't think of the name of it. I'd have to go back and look, but it wasn't wildly popular or very successful. Um, but, I mean, it's not tailor-made, so that, yeah, that makes true. a big difference. So it's um, kind of something new. The face is bright red, and it kind of looks like, a, I don't know, like a bio cell, like snake skin, scaly type look. Um, it's actually got a different texture to it. If you um, if you feel one of them, it's like I, I don't want to say rubbery, but it doesn't feel like a slick metal driver face like you would normally feel. Like it's got a little bit of texture to it, and it's like a little bit of softness and subtlety. So I think that's going to be interesting. Um, and the red kind of throws you for a loop. But Tiger's got it in the bag. His son Charlie had it in the bag. I think all the tour players pretty much are going to be putting it into play. Um, I think. Yeah, not that. And, you know, I mean, you know, this is not a sponsored podcast. No. Um, so um, we play mixed bag everything. We play mixed bag everything. <laughs> so, um, and not that you can take uh, all the sponsored pros for everything they say. Um, but I mean, Rory said it's groundbreaking. But if I was getting paid, like you said, but if I was getting paid $100 million, I'd say a whole lot of shit I didn't believe. Well, yeah, no, and and I don't and I don't disagree with that. And you know, and the whole thing about it about I'm just gonna be honest. I'm not opposed to going and hitting it. No, I think it's definitely gonna be worth a try. But if it's not, so like, I might move one driver to another driver for I don't know. I mean. I don't know what it would take me to move. Um, but I think the thing that every golfer is chasing is distance. Yeah, but I think it's ugly. <laughs> I really want to, like, I've just seen a demo head of it. I haven't actually seen, like, a complete club. But I want to, I'm interested to hit it. And aesthetics play a big part in a club. Like, if it doesn't look good to you, I don't care how well it's going to perform. To a lot of people, if it doesn't look good, they're just not going to put it in the bag. 100%. So, the only thing that I think that I vary from that is with my irons. They don't look the best behind the ball to me, but, I mean, I hit them pretty good. So, they kind of they stick around the old peeing I-20. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I just don't. I don't know. And then I will tell you, and I'm not a huge Callaway fan, but the new Cal that Rogue, the Rogue, is it the Rogue ST? Yeah, I think that's the new one they got out. It's like the black on black with a matte black crown and the gold trim on the back. It's of it. sharp. Yeah, it's pretty good looking. It's really sharp. Um, I'm a pretty big fan of that. Um, I've had one Callaway driver, and it was I had the I had the Epic Flash Sub Zero, and I will say it's been deba- it was debatably one of the longest drivers I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hit it good. But it just was not very forgiving. Now, granted, that is the that is the cranked low spin version. I mean, it's yeah, that's supposed, really true. It's supposed to be the hardest one to hit. Um, but no, it's a pretty. I mean, I'm interested to see. It's very appealing on the top. Yeah. Um. So something about that low glare. Yeah, crown oh, yeah. is really appealing. I mean, my driver's a mad head. Yeah. I'm a big fan of it. But I think that kind of begs the question is like you know cobra released new putters last year that were like 3d printed you know a different like kind of composite material they kind of went away from the tried and true like 303 stainless that a lot of people have made putters out of forever so do you think that i mean we're not scientists we're not engineers we're not experts but you know we're just a couple of regular guys but that kind of makes me sit around and wonder is like where do you think the future of golf technology is going because, like, there's only – it seems to me that the governing bodies, like the PGA Tour, the RNA, they're only going to let the equipment get so big nowadays. Like, they just implemented the local rule where the maximum driver length is going to be 48 inches – or, excuse me, 46. It was previously 48. So now on tour, you can only have a 46-inch driver. And so that's going to limit companies with, you know, in the pursuit of distance, shorter clubs just not going to go as far. 100%. You know, I mean, that's not really going to affect the amateurs that much, but like with all this carbon technology and 3D printed putters and everything going on, like what do you think is going to be over the, let's just say over the course of the next five years, amateur golf, professional golf, whatever, doesn't matter. Like what are you expecting to see and like what do you think is going to be like the next big thing? Because it almost feels like we're kind of at the peak of equipment technology. Like it doesn't feel like the companies have very many places to go from here. They're all already using wind tunnels. They're all, you know, they've got Nobel Prize winning scientists and engineers developing this stuff. Hell, TaylorMade's got sound engineers that, you know, test over and over on the acoustics of their drivers. Yeah. So, like, next five years, what do you see as kind of the way forward? Well, let's first thing I want to talk about is back to what you mentioned about the about the cover putters. Yeah. I feel like I know a decent amount of people that play golf. Yeah, I'd say we both have a pretty big sample size. I don't know a single person that has one. Not not a single one. And I can't say that I've seen one in a golf galaxy. That's exactly the point I was about to make, is big box stores don't seem like they're carrying them. So, my big question is, is, don't get me wrong, the technology on it sounds, you know, way ahead of its time. But... I don't know anyone that has one, and if they're not in a big box, then who are you? Like, who's going to take a chance unless you're somebody that's just got – I mean, because the putters aren't cheap. I mean, they're like – I think the low-end version is like maybe 279, and then the top end, I mean, they're up there with the Scotties at like, you know, 359 or 400 bucks. Yeah, I mean, you're – Who's going to take a chance on that? Yeah, I mean, you're – 
Taylor made spider. Yeah. Um, Bettinardi, Scotty Cameron, Toulon. Just your Odyssey. Odyssey. Pings. pings. You're at all that price point. And I and don't know. People can't test your product. Yeah. And yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know what the, what the appeal. I, now granted, putter is definitely, I would say more than any other club in your bag about appearance. And putter, like, your putter relationship is very personal. Like, I mean, yeah. I know people that have been putting with the same putter for 25 years and they make as many putts with as, you know, people with brand new putters and stuff. And it's just kind of that, Hey, this is what works for me. And this is what I've crafted like yeah. my stroke around. So, and I think another big thing is, is there's not a single, not to my knowledge, not that there's a ton of guys on tour playing Cobra clubs, mm. but none of the Cobra guys I know play a Cobra putter. I think Ricky's been testing like a prototype, but I mean, it's the same thing. Is he used to putt with the, the Scotty Newport 2 or whatever it was. Yeah. It's basically a Scotty Newport 2 with Cobra stamp on the back of it. But I don't know that he's put it into play in any tournaments, but I just saw some stuff on yeah. like the My Golf Spy. Now, I will say one of the coolest things about that putter, the 3D printed thing was is cool, but I, mm-hmm. I'm not crazy about that. The coolest thing, I think, is that Sick did the face on him. Yeah, that's and how cool. they're dynamically lofted across the face mm-hmm. to where the loft of the club is presented the same. Like the top of the face is, is four degrees. Four degrees, yeah. It, whatever is supposed to give you the true roll, no matter if like you, wherever hit, you it, hit it on the face. Which yeah. is really cool. And do I think th- they've got a lot of MLI. Do you think that 3D printing, it doesn't seem like something that's going to be feasible in any realm of the golf world except putters. That's what I'm thinking, currently at least. Current, yeah, like the material doesn't seem like it would hold up well enough to like withstand any kind of speed or impact. Yeah, and you know, I've not putted with one. I feel like they've got to be soft. Yeah, um, and, and I mean, but I mean, it depends on, because I think they've got an aluminum face insert into a 3D printed putter. Okay. So, I mean, it. I don't know. Do you think that the, the face is where all the feel comes from, I would imagine? I mean, it's, it's got to be. Yeah, I, I don't know, and you know, you know, I, there's a couple guys on tour that are big on sick. The the post sick putters, Brendan Todd puts with one. That's what DeChambeau's putters. DeChambeau puts with one. I mean, and not that I'm advocating that anybody do anything like Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, but it's a cool putter. Not that I think DeChambeau's the best putter, but Brendan Todd's tough. Brendan Todd is as good on the greens as anybody that you'll come across. Yeah. So I mean, something to be kind of said for that, but I mean. I, I don't know what the what the like major appeal mm-hmm. for that putter is. Um, sorry, we kind of got away from the you know what just came out, but um, I think that that's a valid point. I think that yeah. what what I think is going to be interesting is talking about the TaylorMade. I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and we were talking about you know this composite face. I played college baseball, so did my friend, and we all talked about. Um, composite baseball bats. So composite baseball bats, as they break in, they get more springy. Yeah. And they're hotter. I mean, this reason you hear about all these guys, even softball guys, Mm -hmm. that are hitting their composite bats with rubber mallets. Yeah. To break composite walls Mm -hmm. in. Is that going to happen in on this driver to where yes for me you 
average Joe. The guy's going to play a couple rounds a week. Yeah. There's not a guy that's testing the ball speed of our driver all the time. No. But on tour, if they have to test, the, if they have to change the head a lot, there's going to be some tour guys that ain't going to be big on that. Yeah. If it, if it comes down to like their fate, and what we're talking about is on the PGA Tour and like any kind of professional tour, even like high ranking amateur level events, there's something called um, smash factor. And like, you know, the moment of inertia and things like that when it comes to a driver. So basically what it's comparing is your ball speed versus your swing speed. So the perfect smash factor, I think, is 1.5. So if you have a 100 mile an hour swing speed, the maximum perfect ball speed that you could get out of 100 miles an hour would be 150 miles an hour of ball speed is how smash factor works so what we're talking about is this composite you know the the 60 layers of carbon that TaylorMade has put in the face of this driver like a composite baseball bat the more that it gets broken in and worn in and gets more of that trampoline and like spring effect to it you know is that smash factor going to get so high that like the ball speed's increasing off the charts and then you know depending on the weather conditions and like some of these really you know high altitude warm weather places that they're playing like is it going to be a big enough problem to where like the faces and the driver head like becomes uncompliant and like outside the reaches and outside the bounds of what is legally allowed? And I would have to think that TaylorMade was taking that into account when they were building the driver. So yeah. I, I think that, you know, a golf club and a baseball bat, like, you know, the weight of the object that is being hit with the club is different. Drastically different. You know, so I think that you're, I don't know. It's just going to be interesting to see like how that face technology progresses and if any other companies follow suit, because it kind of seems like, like if you look at the gun world, whatever Glock does, a lot of companies tend to follow in their striker fire pistols in some roundabout way. TaylorMade seems to be one of those companies to where whatever they do, it's maybe not instantaneous, but you see other companies kind of start to follow like, like Mizuno. They're the first with adjustable weight, right? Actually, Mizuno, I think, could be, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Mizuno was the first one with like a track adjustable weight where you could slide it from one end to the other. But TaylorMade, I think, was the first one with like the weight ports. Like if you remember the old TaylorMade R7 drivers. Yeah, they had ports. Like the Super Quad and everything. It had like four weight ports where you could unscrew the weights and then like put heavier ones in the toe. But I think Mizuno was the first company that had like the track. But nobody cared about Mizuno Fairway Woods. And they were just like, eh, it's whatever. And then TaylorMade comes out and starts doing it. And they're like, oh, my God, yeah, adjustable weight tracks. Everybody's got to start doing that. Um, but they went away from that in the sim, too. And now with the Stealth, they're bringing them back. There's going to be a couple different models, just like there was the Sim Max and then the regular Sim um, and the Sim 2 or whatever. They had, um, you know, like the stock head with no adjustable weights or anything. Yeah. Um, so I think they're bringing the weight track back in the Stealth, which – if you're a mid to high handicap player, I don't think you're going to see that much difference by switching a weight back and forth, at least the stock weight that comes with it. Now, if you've got a really bad slice or hook going on, it might be worth your while to maybe do some research on some heavier weights that will fit that track. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that a lot of people like about the G425, the ping driver, is that tungsten weight in the back of it. This is heavy. It's heavier than almost any other adjustable weight on the market so like it actually tends to whatever it's supposed to do whether it's creating a fade bias or a draw bias it tends to do it better 
than some of the like lighter, like six gram weights or whatever that you're sliding around. I mean, unless you're swinging at the exact same every time, that's not really going to make that much of a difference. I think the sh- adjustable shaft is more important than the adjustable weight. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think Callaway is really, they're not preaching any new tech. They've made some refinement to their jailbreak technology. Yeah. Like the, the bars behind the face on the driver. Yeah. I don't know if they, they either had two and went to four bars or they had four and went back to two. Um, okay. I think it was just, they were messing around with some like moment of inertia uh, testing and stuff and trying to get that smash factor up a little to, I mean, everybody's chasing ball speed at this point. 100%. Ball speed makes it go further. Do you think if Bryson DeChambeau had never started this pursuit of distance, do you think that all of these conversations that like me and you and everybody's having around ball speed and face technology, like, People have been chasing distance for as long as golf's been invented. But do you think if DeChambeau hadn't have went on his tear of searching for that 200-mile-an-hour ball speed on tour, that we would be having these conversations as frequently? No, I mean, I still think it was inevitable. You think we would have – I think we got here quicker. Yeah, maybe quicker. Um, I I just think that it's – I think he's pushing some bounds – and I think there's some people that are doing that are changing their golf swings to to do it. I mean, you look, even Rory McIlroy. I mean, the dude's won. Well, he said he messed his golf game up trying to catch Deshamba. Yeah, like McIlroy is one of the purest talents of this generation, maybe ever. He's in the conversation of like most naturally gifted golfers. I think he's at least top ten. Um, so it's just it's wild that somebody like that would change their entire game up trying to chase one dude that wears a funny hat and hits it a really long way. Yeah, no, and I mean, I mean, I think Bryson won the U.S. Open in twenty twenty, right? Uh, I think so. I can fact check that. Hey, um, I'll be like Jamie from the Joe Rogan podcast. I'll just be a fact checker over here. Yeah, I. In essence, he won the one golf tournament that you should not be able to bomb and gouge it. I think that put a lot of people on notice. It's like the U.S. Open is supposed to be skinny fairways, thick, rough, hard, slick greens. He just hit it exceptionally straight that week. And that's the thing is like when when it lines up, it's hard to beat. Oh, yeah. If he gets it going. I mean, you still got to get it in the hole. Yeah. Now, have, have they made a determination on is his putting still fine? Putting's still fine because it's not technically anchored. It's arm lock. Yeah. So, like, it's not necessarily anchored to – I think the whole anchoring thing was, like, trying to get away from anchoring stuff to, like, your torso. Yeah. You didn't want to have, like, a fulcrum point. It, yeah. But since, like, the end of the putter is swinging with your arm, I think it's still fine. Because okay. Kuchar does the same thing. Webb Simpson does the same thing. Yeah. No, there's some guys that definitely yeah. do it. Um, yeah, Shambo won by eight shots in 2020 at Wingfoot. Wingfoot. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, since we're talking about equipment, we can talk about it. There's a few guys that have made some equipment changes. Patrick Reed to PXG. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I've not watched this week. Yeah. I think he's only playing PXG Woods. You think? I think. Yeah, I haven't seen a full because, one in the bag either. Because his hat still has his groundworks on it. 
Yeah, because isn't he like – isn't that like a proprietary iron? Is he part of the process at Grindworks? He is part – I think he owns part of it. Okay. Grindworks, anybody that doesn't know, is a really niche club manufacturer. You can't go test them anywhere. It's like custom-ordered stuff, and it's very expensive. I mean, it rivals PXG top-line yeah. stuff. Um, Michael Strahan has them. Does he? Funny enough. <laughs> of course. Um, but – yeah, so him there, I personally think Callaway got a heck of a player in Abraham Answer. I think Abe Answer is one of – he's definitely in the conversation and one of the people you need to pay attention to over the next five, six years. 100%. But he's one of those young guys that – I don't know how young he is, but, I mean, he's definitely part of, like, the younger wave, like the younger generation. And, you know, being from Mexico, obviously he's not going to be talked about as much as the American players. But he um, – I mean, he's a – and he's just a cool dude from all the stuff I've watched about him. Not, you know, not just on PGA tour, but like on you know, ESPN did some stuff on him. Yep. I mean, he's got his own tequila company. Yeah, he's a cool dude. He's, he's a good looking, charming guy. I very mean, much so. Very talented. Came from not a lot. That's a story you can get behind. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's, if he had an American flag behind his name, he would have a bigger following than he does. Yep. But he's um, definitely somebody to pay attention to. He's just got, I don't know, the move he puts on the ball, it's simple and repeatable, and it's really fun to watch. Like, he just, he looks like one of those guys that when you see him hit balls, you're never worried about that flyer to left field that yeah. we're not sure where it came from. I'll tell you what else he is. He is an exceptionally good putter. Yeah, he rolls it really well. So, I don't know this for sure. I think. Hey, man, answer's 30. Okay. So, I think he was. I know he played an Odyssey putter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no putter change. But he was playing Mira irons and wedges. Yeah. I don't know what woods he had in his bag. Um, but uh, no, I think it's a very good staffer for Callaway to have. Who do you think which company, you know, like TaylorMade seems to have a monopoly on well not a monopoly. TaylorMade has a lot more tour staffers than any other company. They have a lot more people that are, you know, like top 10 or 15 in the world that are signed on with that. Well, obviously, John Rahm, number one player in the world, he's a Callaway staffer now. 100%. Um, Big win for Callaway with that. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, because just to be honest, he's going to be a top five golfer in the world for the next, unless something happens. Unless something happens that we can't foresee. And, like, I mean, golf's a funny game where you can be, like, you look at Luke Donald. Luke Donald, who hasn't been relevant for a long time he was number one in the world without having ever won a major and he was a mizuno guy so people were buying mizuno irons and stuff left and right and then he just i think now he's just making wine and and paintings with his super hot wife put and plays his however many tournaments a year over here um so got answer kepka to shrinks on you know, that's a move that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I think that I mean, don't get me wrong, Strixon makes really good stuff. I've hit I've hit their irons before, and I mean they feel as good. I don't want to say that they feel better than anything, but they feel as good as a lot of other irons. Yeah, the forced heads are nice. Um that Riley Earhart kid that I played with that was uh I think when I played with him in that qualifier, he was maybe a sophomore at Maryland or something. And he had some like uh, custom fitted Strixon irons and 
he might have been the best iron player I've ever played with. And like he, I mean, those things were really sweet looking. But I think that just kind of further adds to Brooks's I want to be different mentality. Because of all the people that could have signed him, of all the places he could have got big money from, like why go to Shrixon? Yeah, but here's the thing. He's the dude. He's the biggest staffer they've got. And it, it like when when we say that, like it ain't close. Like they got Hideki. And yeah, but who's selling more clubs? Every muscled up D bag that's a big Brooks Kepka fan is now gonna be buying tricks on stuff. Yeah. So no, that's big. Um but I think one thing that you were kind of talking about is like what kind of club manufacturer is maybe hurting mm-hmm. a little bit. And I hate to say it because I think they make great stuff. But Ping struggled a little bit. I feel like you're about to hurt my feelings and say Ping. But, yeah, I think I'm solely keeping Ping afloat. Because, don't get me wrong, like Tony Finau is a very good player. Mm -hmm. Tony Finau ain't selling clubs, though. No, and you don't have a big U.S. star. And – I mean, that's where the global stage is, is the United States. Yeah. No, don't get me wrong. They have two. They have Victor Hovland. You have Victor Hovland and Joaquin Neiman. So you have two very strong young players. Yep. But there's just not. I mean, you got Lee Westwood. You've either got a lot of guys that like Miguel Anel Jimenez, Lee Westwood, that have been ping guys forever. And so they're. And if you've noticed in Ping's retail space now, they're not really catering to top-tier players anymore. They release like one tour set of irons every few years, but most of their stuff is game improvement, high cavity back, um, you know, high MOI, super forgiving stuff. So what you're going to see with Ping is you've got a lot of old guys that play Ping because at one time, everybody – at one point in their life, had a set of either Ping Zing, Ping I2, or Ping I3, the Ping Beryllium Copper. Um, the Ping I2 irons might be one of the more popular sets of irons in history. I'm not going to say the most, but it seems like everybody at some point has had some kind of Ping setup. Um, and then back when we were talking wooden fairway woods, like you had the Ping Blonde Woods that were very popular, um, the Ping Zing Blonde Woods or whatever. Um, so you, what you're starting to see with ping now is you got a lot of older generation players that are playing ping because that's what their dad and grandfather played. And so that's what they play. Um, and like, I grew up on ping, so that's kind of why I'm still fairly biased toward their stuff. Um, and then you've got a bunch of like, I think you've got some young guys coming up that kind of stumble across it. You know what I mean? Because they like the slick, like the black finish on the heads of some of their irons. And, you know, maybe they are a Tony Finau fan because he's got the Nike contract or something. But you seem to have some, like, young guys that are just getting into the game that play it. And then you've got the older generation. There's kind of a gap in the middle. There's not a whole lot of people like like me where you're kind of a low-ish handicap or – you know, somewhere between like a one, two, three, or four, five handicap that are really playing ping stuff. And so it, it seems like there's a pretty big gap. And 
And one of the things that's kept being afloat for so many years is they made the price point that they had on their stuff while it was price protected and you were never going to find something on a really good sale. You could get a brand new set of irons for under a thousand dollars. You could get a driver for 350, 400 bucks. And now what was the I-59 irons that they just released, which yeah. are as sexy as they come. They're $1,700 a set. Like who, who is going to pay that at the amateur level other than somebody that's got more money than cents? Yeah, I, I don't know. But, but one would argue, where are you going to buy a comparable iron for a ton cheaper net? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like the Callaway Apex irons and stuff. Like they're the, gonna be fifteen hundred. The Tightlist uh, T one hundred. So that was about, you know twelve to fifteen hundred bucks, depending on this like the combination that you get. So, it, unfortunately, it seems like the equipment world, while some of the new technology they're releasing is super cool and groundbreaking, it's also driving that price point in the wrong direction for growing the game and being able to keep it affordable for your average guy. Um, yeah. Now I do think. While new club prices have went up, I do think it's easier to find better priced used clubs now than used. Well, that's an interesting point because if you look at okay, so ten years ago would have been two thousand and holy crap, two thousand twelve. Yeah, I've almost been out of high school ten years. That's wild. Yeah, but anyway, um, yeah, ten years ago, you look at what was popular, and I think the Ping G ten was a big deal uh like the g10 and i10s um the tailor-made r9 and r11 stuff was a really big deal so if you look at the used clubs that you were finding before that that was some old crappy technology now you're finding some of that really good used club stuff from five and six years ago on the shelves that you know you got the titanium drivers and yeah the, they're really good for giving irons. And I think another big difference is, is 10 years ago, people didn't change their clubs as much. There wasn't, there didn't seem to be as much of like a rat race of like, I got to have the new thing. I got to get the, well, and cl- other than TaylorMade, TaylorMade has actually slowed their releases down. They used to release like two new drivers a year. And so other than that, like you had to wait two years for a new ping or Titleist driver. You know, like yeah but i think that's just a generation and a reflection of like not just the golf world but just the world we live in like how many different iphones are released every like one a year or something yeah you know what i mean like everything is just they're just ramping up releasing new stuff constantly because everybody's like gotta have the new thing gotta have the new thing um but kind of got away from like the point in question i was trying to make earlier of kind of over the next five years I don't, it kind of seems like we're at a turning point and I don't know that anybody has a clear direction of what the next five years is going to hold. You got Cobra trying the uh, 3D printed stuff. You got TaylorMade trying the carbon face stuff. A lot of companies have had like carbon fiber, like crowns on their fairway woods for a long time. That's not anything new, but I don't know that anybody really knows the next path and the next, what's going to be the next big thing. So I think that we're at a really exciting time and like manufacturing because i think you're going to see a lot of experimental stuff come out in the next two or three years and people are going to be trying you know okay well taylor made's trying carbon why don't we try this and so i think that we've got some exciting stuff coming up that i'm looking forward to personally 
you know, the titanium driver era seems to be kind of nearing its close. Um, so I'm interested to see what's going to happen over the next couple of years and um, how that's going to change the way we play, if any. I mean, golf is still golf. I don't care what you play it with. It's still a hard game. But, like, the personality of it changes every – I mean, just like as human beings, we change, what do I say, every 10 years? Yeah, something like something that. Something like that. Like you kind of change, like, who you are just organically. And it seems like golf is kind of in a similar – Headspace. Similar headspace, like, you know, every eight or ten years or so, you just see, like, kind of a major shift in the dynamic of, like, the equipment and the style of play um, and everything like that. So it's kind of an exciting time to be an avid golfer right now. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I agree with you. Um, so after talking about that, I mean, I think that – I think that you – I think you're definitely confined. The average guy, the average guy that's getting into golf, can buy better used stuff than they used to be able to. Yes, at a better price. Um, not that golf has gotten any cheaper. I mean, I think that it's going the other way. It's going the other direction. Um, which, you know, you know, they were talking pre-COVID. You know, golf numbers were so far down, and uh, COVID may have been one of the best things for golf. I was gonna say like. I got to witness that from a unique perspective where my family's in the golf business. Yeah. Um, There seemed to be, at least in the small town world, there was a lot of two different things happened. So for one, people were stuck inside and the only thing they could go do was, thankfully golf was deemed essential. So dad was able to stay open and and keep everything. Had to make some modifications Uh to, to go along with COVID protocols, but saw a lot of people that the only thing they could do was either go for a walk or take a hike or come play golf. And so they were coming to play golf because they could do it communally with their friends. And it was an activity that you could do because um, you couldn't go to the bars and throw cornhole anymore. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of stuff you could do. Like that. Yeah. Um, so that was really good. And then also there was kind of this sense of need to buy local, need to support the small business. 100%. And so I think that you started seeing a lot more community support, not just at our golf course, but like every other golf course around. People in the community that maybe had been thinking about taking up the game, they finally made that push. Like, all right, I'm going to dust the old clubs off. and and We're not a better time than the present. Exactly. So it was – I mean, COVID sucked for for a lot of reasons and for a lot of people, but for the golf world itself, it was one of the few things left at the beginning of COVID that you could do and still be able to recreate with your friends and, and get out of the house. So um, just like the rest of the world, I think, you know, COVID changed the landscape of a lot of things, but golf seemed, uh, the community seemed to get stronger versus kind of being torn apart and scattered, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, so if you want to, we'll talk a little bit about kind of what we've got coming up in the next yeah and before we get off here today i want to talk about the uh the 2022 majors coming up because there's some cool stuff with like the venues and stuff. okay so yeah. we'll, we'll get into that too but um stuff we kind of got coming up here in the next little bit um so the first thing i guess will be february 3rd 5th february 5th um got the annual polar bear classic at Deep Springs. At Deep Springs, uh, which we're going to uh, – it's a 
four man, captain's choice. You bring your own team, fight it by your handicaps. Um, just kind of a, I think it's kind of a good thing for some guys that a lot of people put their clubs up in November and they don't pick them back up till March. Yeah. And it's something kind of good right before it's going to start getting warm again. And winter golf is, it's not for the faint of heart. No. I mean, you gotta, you gotta either really love it or really dislike your wife to get out and play when it's really cold. Um, I have, I've kind of found something. I've been hitting it exceptionally good the last month and a half. I think, and this is just me personally. I mean, you might disagree. A lot of people might disagree. I think that winter golf kind of takes the pressure off of you because, like, you you don't have expectations. Yeah. Because the grass sucks. The conditions are less than ideal. It's cold, windy. You know, nothing is as perfect as it's going to be in the spring, summer, and early fall. So I think you just kind of go out there with no expectations and, like, you kind of get back to just having fun and just hitting it, finding it, and hitting it again. You know, so I don't know if you feel like that maybe leads to some freer swings and yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, but you know, that's been good. So we've got the, you know, the polar bear, um, in February. Um, and nobody's more excited about the polar bear than Bailey Jones. Than Bailey Jones. There's just, it's not, it's not even close. He um, looks a little like a polar bear. Slightly. Slightly. We get him in a white jacket. He'd be close. We've got to get this man a white jacket for the polar bear. Yeah. Um, so you know, that's going to be a fun event. Um, we, we think, um, then, uh, kind of some other things we've been checking, um, every day. Um, I think we have decided that if there is a, uh, Barstool Classic qualifier in the state that we're going to participate. Yeah, that's going to be cool. We're hoping to have a lot of two man action this year. Me and Ross, we've been friends for a long time, but in terms of like golf relationship, this year, 2021, was the first year we had really started playing a lot of golf together and kind of figured out that we were a good two-man duo. Um, so we, we dabbled with it a little bit in 2021, but now this year... With some decent results. With some decent results. I mean, we we never we never finished off the podium. Yeah. Now, we played in some stuff like early in the year. I hadn't played for two or three years. My handicap was a little higher, so we didn't they pre-ranked the tournament based on handicap. So we didn't make like the championship flight off the pre-handicapping system. Um, but we still finished second in that. And then everything else we played in that was determined after you played your first round, that was like flighted based on how you played. I think there was only one time we didn't make the championship flight in whatever yeah. we played in. So we've got – you know, obviously the club that we're members at for this year, we're going to play in most of their two-man stuff, other than the member guests. You know, we'll be bringing uh, friends from outside the uh, membership uh, to play with us. But I think we've decided we're going to try to delve into playing in the uh, the CGA, Carolinas Golf Association, like two-man tournament. Yeah, the four-ball. Um, you call it the four-ball is the format. Um, then we're going to try to qualify for that and, and really – Competitive golf and recreational golf are a lot different, and you kind of find out who you are and what your game's all about when you're competing. Um, so I think it's going to be an exciting year for us to kind of step into that. And team golf is a much different environment than individual golf as well. Um, so it's going to be a, a fun year from some of the stuff that we've talked about doing and, and playing in. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for that. Um, 
and I think it's going to be good. I mean, I, I think we've kicked around. There's a few little individual things that me and Dalton, while we may not be playing together on the same team, we'll probably travel to the same location and uh, yeah. playing some stuff like maybe like the in like I try to do a qualifier for the NC Mid Am or um, probably club championship. Yeah, it, it's been a while since since we trophied in anything in a non-team format. So I think um, kind of getting back to some individual, yeah, kind of back to like your junior golf roots and stuff is going to be fun. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, if, if you want to talk a little bit about the majors, we can, uh, we can talk about that if you'd like. Yeah. I, I'm just super excited because we do have a very good, uh, I don't know much about Southern Hills where they're playing Oklahoma. Yeah. It's also Oklahoma. Like I know it's a really historic venue, but you've got the masters at Augusta, obviously April 4th through the 10th. Um, which really is not that far. No, I mean, you're talking just three months away at this point. Um, I think Rory's finally going to get it done. Well, we can, uh, we'll we'll, we'll talk talk about that later, but anyway, um, you got the PGA Championship um, May 16th through 22nd at Southern Hills Country Club. Really historic venue. Um, my, What I'm looking forward to the most is going to be the U.S. Open in June at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. If you've seen the movie The Greatest Game Ever Played, that's the country club that Francis we met, caddy dad, and played in the U.S. Open against Harry Varden. Um, and Shane and, Ray. Yeah, and what was the big guy? Ted Scott. Or Ted Ray. Ted Ray, yeah. Ted Ray, whatever his name was. Um, And then to round out the major series, you've got the Open Championship at the old course at St. Andrews, which if you listen to this podcast because you're our family and friends and don't really know anything about golf, we appreciate you being here. But the old course at St. Andrews, as far as history can trace back, is the first official golf course in the world. And it can be played in reverse, which is super cool. Yeah. You know, like you can play it one through 18 and then they've uh, a couple of times a year, they have tee boxes where you can play it backwards. Um, All the bunkering on that course is organic. There was never a course designer that came in and said, I want to put a bunker there. There was a depression in the land or like uh, a hole from a bomb during one of the wars um, or something that created that natural indentation. And then they just like trimmed it up and manicured it and made a bunker um, so like there was no architect really, I think old Tom Morris probably eventually had some suggestions and like T boxes positions and layout yeah. and things. But, um, if you're a golf nerd like me, that kind of stuff just gets your blood flowing a little bit. And tiger is seemingly back in the picture a little bit. And it's going to be hard to imagine. He's not going to make an appearance at St. Andrews. Yep. Um, so I'm very personally very excited about the lineup of majors on the PGA Tour this year. Hundred percent. I uh, if you if you want to, um, well, we can and we'll even write it down if you want to. We can uh, make some major predictions. We can do major predictions okay. at this time, and we will probably go over eight. Most likely. Most likely. Um, Here, I'll put it on my phone right now, and we'll keep track of it. But um, it's something we can kind of do. We, we can go tournament by tournament. We can do the Masters first and just go in chronological order. Yeah. All right, Masters. Uh, I think my boy – I'm probably the biggest Rory McIlroy fan that's not from Northern Ireland. I think he's finally going to get it done. Okay. Um, I think John Rahm's going to win. 
His game fits that place. Yeah, uh, I just think that that course is. Uh, I just I just think that he, it's inevitable for him to win there because he mm-hmm. puts it good enough and he drives it good enough that yeah he whatever spot you need to be in he tends to find himself in it yeah so I mean I think that that's a there's a good chance there All right. um, PGA Championship at Southern Hills Southern Hills um, just because of history the last two winners there are Tiger and Retief Goodson. I didn't know that actually. So very good iron players on both of them. I think I know where you're going with this. So I will have to say Colin Morikawa. And I'm picking uh, Xander. Very Shoffley. good iron player as well. I think the I think the gold medal in the Olympics this year. Yeah, was, they could catapult him. I think that that could catapult him to some pretty good things this year. So I'm picking Xander for the PGA. Yeah. Um, Brookline. Country Club for the U.S. Open. Where are we going with that? I don't know. The they just not been to Brookline since it's been a while. And Brookline is the site of the, I think it was the '99 Ryder Cup where they wore those god awful ugly window pane shirts. Was where they played that yeah. Ryder Cup at when um, Justin Leonard drained that really long putt and everybody freaked out. Yeah, I'm going to say. This is kind of a hot take. I won't lie. Um, I think it's going to be Victor Hovland. And it hurts me a little bit. But I just think that he hits it very good off the tee. And he puts it good enough. I agree. I think I'm going to go Dustin Johnson. He's been he's seen he's fallen off a little. It's hard to not to like Dustin in a in a U.S. Open format. And like you know, his U.S. Open win came in Oakmont, which is very traditional. It, like on paper, it's not going to be listed as the hardest course in America, but as I've never personally been there, but from everything I've read, researched, and watched. I wouldn't want to play it. Maybe once just to humble myself and get my ass kicked for four or five hours. Well, I watched it this past year as much as anything. Because of the U.S. Amateur? The U.S. Am was there. And it gave those dudes all they wanted. Yeah. So, I just think that courses – and, you know, Brookline is very – I mean, I don't know how many years old it is. It's very old. Yeah. Like a hundred over 100 years old. and. It's going to have that traditional country club feel and traditional golf. And when their game is grooving, I don't think there's anybody that plays traditional type setup courses any better than Dustin Johnson, especially with that power fade he's got. It's got a lot of spin and goes forever. I mean, it's just hard to not like somebody like that on a course like that. And then so finishing up with the open. Yes. I, this is the one for me that I had to a hard time with deciding which one I thought was going to win, or in my opinion. But and he's not really a flyer because he's catapulted so far up in the world. Mm-hmm. But I I like Sam Burns. I could I could see Sam being a big contender there. Um, and he's had a good enough year. He's definitely going to qualify for it, wouldn't you think? He's top 10. He's 10th in the world. Oh, okay. Wow, I didn't know he climbed that high. 153 spots this past year. Holy cow. 
Well, hey, good for you, Sam Burns. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go on a similar track to that. Tell me Scotty Scheffler in a beanie and a windbreaker in the rain at the open. I, you could see him hold the clear jug. So I'm going to go Scotty Scheffler. Yeah, I, I like Scotty. Um, I think that that tournament is more of a fit for him than some others. Uh, I think he is probably more open championship, PGA championship kind of. Yeah, but the way – like the reason for this pick is – the way he performed at Whistling Straits in the wind. Yeah, very the much US so. Open, like, his game looked really good in those kind of situations. And Now, granted, Whistling Straits and the old course are two completely They're different animals. Yeah. But he showed some promise. And I don't know. I could, uh, I could see it coming together for him. Yeah. The one uh, – the honorable mention that I'll give, and I mean, he's looked very good this tournament – I think if there was a tournament that I think there's a dude that is just poised to win it other than who I've said, I think that Cameron Smith has a very good chance at Augusta. He plays good there every year. And I, he's finding some stuff. And I'll tell you, for the Open as well, and you were texting me about him the other night because of how much you liked his laid off move. Burger. I think Burger, his game – you, it's hard to imagine that somebody that's as good of a player as him with that homemade move. Like, you know, anytime you see somebody that's got that homemade move, it lasts under pressure because it's not something that was taught to them. It's great. It, it's ingrained in just every fiber of their being. It's hard to imagine somebody like Berger's not going to have some success on a major scale at some, some point. point. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll, another person that, I mean, history shows that he's going to be around is going to be Ustase. Oh, yeah, he's definitely, he's guaranteed at least one second-place finish. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's there. And I think, did he lose in a playoff to um, Zach Johnson? Yes. The last Open? Yeah, I think it was. A, if it <laughs> At was, Andrews. If it wasn't a playoff, it was, uh, he was in the, I'll pull up that leaderboard. I don't know what year that was, but, um, yeah, Zach Johnson won the last one they had there, I think. Or no, did Jordan speed? I don't know. We're a very uninformed golf podcast right now. We'll look it up for you. Um, but yeah, Louis, he just—I don't know—he's just that guy that he seems to always be around. He's just got—he's got a very simple swing. He—it doesn't—he's not that guy that's going to hit it forty yards off the fairway. You know what I mean? Like he's just going to peck it down the middle and peck it up on the green and make a bunch of putts, and so. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, it's hard to count him out. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm a big, so yeah, so he will. Oh, well, Lou Ustay's actually won in 2010 there. There's been two that they've played there in recent years, yeah, 10 and 15. Zach, Zach Johnson, Johnson won it in 15, yeah, and then Ustay's won it in 2010 there, so. I mean, he's getting a little bit older, but, I mean, his game's in as good a shape as it's ever been in. So, seeing as that was the last place that he won a major, like, you know he's probably going to have some good vibes coming in. Yeah, I but mean. That seems like the kind of course that could also punish you regardless of how you've been playing. Yeah. If the wind picks up. Because if the wind is pretty dormant in its fair conditions, I think that place is going to get eaten alive. Yeah. Um, just to touch a little bit on the FedEx, on the, you know, the tournament's going on right now. Uh 
you know, Century Tournament champions. Um, I think it's safe to say that Harris English will not repeat um, because it's just not been good. Um, if you haven't been watching the tournament right now, John Rahm and Cameron Smith are tied at the top of the leaderboard at 26 under with one round to go. Um, we were looking at the scorecards earlier. John Rahm's played three rounds of golf at the Plantation Course of Kapalua, which is carved on the side of a mountain and the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour. He's made one bogey in 54 holes. Yeah, it's just – They just – they light that place up, and it's kind of inexplicable as to how or why. Yeah, so – but, no, I mean, I think that it's, you know, you know, it's it, – the, the top dogs are still the top dogs, it looks like. I mean, there's been some – there's been 261s, which is – Yeah, Justin Thomas shot the course record yesterday in, like, the morning wave. He had a horrible <laughs> first day. He went 74, 67, 61. Yeah. Um, and then John Rahm matched it that same afternoon. Yeah. Um, so, Justin Thomas held the course record for, like, four hours. Yeah. And so – and then they'll stay in Hawaii next week. For the Sony. For the Sony. Um, which is a very good golf course. Um, and then it's like kind of old school traditional. Is it Wiley Country Club? Yeah. And then they'll, um, you know, they'll come back to, uh, do the California swing uh-huh. after that's over. And then for one of our favorites, the FedEx next month. Yeah. Um, and I, I've always really enjoyed the American Express and La Quinta. It used to be called something different. I don't remember what, exactly what the tournament was called. This like the um, the sponsors changed names, but the uh, the die course in La Quinta, California. It's one of the prettiest courses that they play on tour. Um, I think Pat Perez has had some success there in the past. Like it, it's that kind of course where it's not overly long, and you end up seeing some guys that maybe aren't typically normally near the top of the leaderboard making a move. Um, yeah, so you got that coming up. Um, and waste management, always cool tournament to watch. When you go to Arizona in March, are you playing that course? Um, I don't know. The We're going to play um, Wico Pie, which is on is it, on the reservation. Yeah, so it's about a 45-minute drive outside of Scottsdale. Okay. And then we're going to play um, Kiermerth is another place. It's a decent little bit outside of Scottsdale as well. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm assuming we'll probably either play that one of those or Troon. Gotcha. So, um, that's exciting stuff, man. So, yeah, it's exciting. All right. Well, we just want to uh, thank everybody for coming back with us. I know it's been a couple months. We're excited to be back for you. Hopefully, we'll get on a little bit better recording schedule for you. Um, so, we're going to try to play a lot more golf now that we're healing up and getting healthy and, and cover a lot more golf and, you know, uh, talk about all the, the fun stuff that everybody's here to listen to. Um, I think our first guest is going to be the B Jones that we've talked about a few times in the past couple episodes. And so we're excited to kind of hear his take on some stuff and uh, get some new stuff coming everybody's way. Um, so appreciate everybody being here. Yeah. Everybody have a good rest of uh, your day and we will see you all again soon.